Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and today I want to talk about sugar cravings. So several studies have found significant correlations between sugar cravings and early sobriety. You've probably experienced this too, and it's really common to go from having no interest in desserts or sweets at all to all of a sudden be craving them all the time once you stop drinking. There's split advice on this in the sober community though. Most people, including me, say to just eat the sugar and worry about it later once you're more comfortable with not drinking. And there are other people who say to avoid sugar entirely. In episode 41, I explained in detail why we crave sugar in sobriety. And in this episode, I wanna cover what we can do about it 
and if you should avoid sugar or not. So you'll learn about some of the latest research on sugar cravings and alcohol use disorder, if sugar consumption really increases relapse risk, and what the science suggests we should do about eating sugar in sobriety. So let's dig in. If you didn't listen to episode 41, then make sure to listen to that after this one because they break down some common myths in the sober community about sugar cravings. Overall, we crave sugar because it's a very easy source of instant gratification. Sugar is everywhere, just like alcohol, and it's socially acceptable to eat a bunch of junk. It may even be at your office at work all the time too. When we drink alcohol, we don't have to do any work. If you're feeling stressed, you don't have to learn how to manage your stress because you can just drink and make the stress go away. If you struggle with mental health conditions like anxiety or depression, you don't have to go to therapy and do the work to learn to manage them. You can just drink and instantly become more relaxed and happy. If you're bored, you don't have to do the work to find hobbies that you actually enjoy doing and people that you actually enjoy being around. You can just drink and instantly start having fun while you're sitting around doing nothing. When we stop drinking, we're still seeking to instantly change our mood and nothing healthy is going to do that for you. Real happiness, fun, stress reduction, or mental health improvements require actual work. Sugar is a very easy thing to go to after alcohol to get instant gratification. And that's why many of us go there. Plus, sugar releases endorphins and dopamine, which feels similar to the experience of drinking. Studies have found that using food to self-medicate, not just sugar, is found in 60% of people who struggle with substances and that loss of control over food is present before people begin struggling with alcohol. That was my experience. I started with food and then realized that alcohol just did a better job. One of the earliest studies on sugar cravings and addiction was done in 1983, and the researchers did a 24-hour dietary recall with 64 newly sober people, and then looked at who relapsed and who did not. They found that the biggest difference in those who stayed sober versus those who relapsed was a high intake of sugar. A similar study from 2016 looked at 150 newly sober people and saw significant increases in chocolate and other sweets over the first month especially, but followed this group for six months to see who relapsed and who remained sober. They saw that about 25% of the group switched from being rare chocolate eaters to frequent chocolate eaters, and 84% of these sugary sober people remained sober for the six-month study period. In comparison, only 60% of the 75% of people who did not increase their sugar consumption stayed sober during the six months. This doesn't mean that sugar will make the difference between relapsing or not, and it's important to remember that this sample size is pretty small. However, it does seem promising if you are a sugary sober person. They did not see any correlation between cravings for sugar and cravings for alcohol, and concluded that eating a bunch of chocolate might even be protective against relapse. So we've known for a long time that there's a relationship between being newly sober and wanting to eat a bunch of sugar 
Other studies have said that we are using sweets to satisfy alcohol and drug cravings. So this obviously won't become a recommended treatment from doctors, but if you're having sugar cravings and feel like you should feel guilty about it, this study suggests that you should just chill, enjoy your sugar, and deal with it later. Sugar interacts with our reward system in a very similar way as alcohol does, and eating a bunch of sweets can result in tolerance too, where you require more sugar to get the same pleasure that you once did. Researchers are hypothesizing that since sugar and alcohol use the same reward pathway, abstinence from one promotes increased cravings for the other. A 2022 study published in the Journal of Substance Abuse Treatment followed 25 newly sober people for 21 days who were recently discharged from treatment. They had them record alcohol cravings, sugar cravings, and consumption of sugar four times per day. They found that there was an association between alcohol cravings and sweet cravings, that consuming sugar earlier in the day predicted alcohol cravings later in the day, and that the more someone craved alcohol, the more they also craved sweets. Limits to this study, though, include a very small sample size, and most of the participants did not drink, so they could not really determine whether or not sugar influenced relapse. To me, all the study says is that newly sober people crave both sugar and alcohol. We know that cravings for alcohol are common in early sobriety because of withdrawal, which I explained in episode 38. Your brain is used to alcohol being around, and it's going to send you cravings to get what it thinks it needs to function correctly. In early sobriety, your brain has to relearn how to function without alcohol. So during that time, you're going to get cravings for alcohol. So they observed that sugar consumption led to greater alcohol cravings later in the day, but alcohol cravings are likely to be strongest later in the day for everyone. Most of us don't wake up first thing in the morning craving alcohol. The cravings come on when we get home from work or when it's around dinner time and it's always been our time to drink. So while the study did find a correlation between sugar consumption and increased alcohol cravings, I think they should have followed this group of people for at least three months to really see the effects and differentiate them between early sobriety alcohol cravings and alcohol cravings that could have been caused from increased sugar. All the studies that I've discussed so far have had really small sample sizes, so the same limit applies. But the one from 2016 that found sugar helped, they followed the participants for six months, and the length of the study is very important. I don't think three weeks is enough time to get a real idea for what's going on because these people are just coming out of withdrawal. It's important for me to discuss study limits because it's really easy to just say this was a 2022 study and the conclusion is sugar makes you crave alcohol and can lead to relapse. We have to look at the study design and see how strong the conclusion actually is. Many people who struggle with alcohol use disorder also have a heightened preference for very sweet things, which is called sweet liking. This link is also seen in people who have a family history of alcohol addiction, whether or not they struggle with alcohol themselves. Sweet likers prefer solutions that are about 2.5 times the sweetness of sodas, and studies have found that it takes these people 10 times longer to get two consecutive days of sobriety compared to people who do not prefer super sweet solutions. 
Sweet liking is not a learned behavior or something that's conditioned. It's a trait that can actually be seen within hours of birth, so it's just something that you have. Some studies have found that in people recovering from drug dependence, 30% of their diet was made up of added sugar. The recommendations are that no more than 5% of our energy intake should be from added sugar. Based on the research, it seems unclear whether or not sugar helps or hurts sobriety. There haven't been too many studies done on this topic, and the ones available looked at really small sample sizes, and many of the studies only followed people for the first three to four weeks of sobriety which is not enough time to determine a link between sugar and relapse. The World Health Organization recommends that we consume no more than 25 grams of added sugar. So that means sugar from fruit or dairy does not count because that naturally exists in the product. You can see added sugar on the nutrition label for any food. So look to that number and not total sugar. The average American consumes about 71 grams of sugar per day or 17 teaspoons. So how do you know if you're just enjoying sugar or if it's a problem for you? Signs that sugar may be an issue are if you're consuming a lot of added sugar nearly every day and skipping out on sugar is challenging for you. You may also feel guilt or shame after consuming sugar and beat yourself up for what you ate. Another sign is using sugar in response to negative emotions or boredom. If you're emotionally eating a bunch of sugar to deal with negative emotions, then this creates a loop where the sugar might cause more negative emotions. Plus, using anything external to deal with feelings does not work and only makes the problem worse. Loss of control is always a sign of a problem. So if you find yourself binging on sugar or consuming it and feeling like you can't stop, then that's something you should not ignore. So based on the studies that I've read, my opinion is that sugar is probably not harmful for your recovery as long as you don't feel shame after consuming it or feel out of control and binge on sugar. These studies are all observational, so they can only show a correlation or an association between sugar cravings and alcohol cravings or relapse. Plus, many of these studies have a very small sample size and only followed the participants during the withdrawal stage. So because of that, I think that the strongest study of the bunch was the one from 2016 about chocolate helping recovery because it followed 150 people for six months. If the sample size was larger, then the conclusions would be stronger. But I like that they didn't just stick to the first few weeks or even the first 90 days. I think we all need to figure out what works best for us, and if enjoying sugar works for you, then just live your best sugary life. If sugar is making you feel bad about yourself, impacting your skin, causing weight changes that make you feel bad about yourself, or anything else, then you don't have to eat it. For me, now that I'm sober, there's a lot that I can't do, and I feel like eating sugar is the only, you know, quote, bad thing that I have left to do. It's one of the only ways that I can get instant gratification and fun vibes, so I personally have no issues with the amount of sugar that I eat. If you're trying to consume less sugar or stop eating it completely, then you could start by getting the sugar out of your house just like you would with alcohol. If it's not in your face and easily accessible, then you're less likely to eat it. If your family wants sugar, maybe they can just keep it somewhere else besides the kitchen where it's right in your face. Telling yourself no is also very helpful. I'm not someone that can moderate, and I know that's 
like super surprising. I accept that about myself. So if I am going to consume sugar, I'm not under any illusions that I will be moderating it. I either eat it or I don't. Telling myself no sometimes when I'm having a sugar craving is helpful. I don't have to indulge every craving. It's when we start wrestling with it or bargaining that the problem begins to set in. So you'll see some people online advise you to eat extra protein so you can stay satisfied or whatever, but sugar cravings usually are not about being hungry. It's a pleasure thing or to relieve a negative emotion or boredom. So just try to be a little bit better than you were last week. And if you do that most weeks for the year, then you'll really be kicking some butt. Something that has helped me too is consuming more fruit because fruit has sugar. So I'm getting a little satisfaction without going to added sugar. I make smoothies at night sometimes and it's definitely not as good as a milkshake, but it's better for me. Some nights you need a milkshake and other nights you can have a smoothie and both are okay. Overall, it's your life, it's your decision whether you eat sugar or not, but so far, the studies do not show that it is good or bad for your recovery. It seems mixed. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you would share it with someone. And if you don't follow the podcast, please make sure you do because that helps me out so much. So if you like this podcast, the best things that you can do to support me is to follow the podcast and share your favorite episodes. And if you really want to support me, you can also leave a review on Apple. I appreciate you and I will talk to you next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.